Nyata, hello. My name is Alison and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. We're based on Peak Warren Country in Warrnambool. Today I'm looking at one of Jesus' parables, in which he describes a landowner who plants, fences and equips a vineyard, and then leases it to tenants. But when he sends people to collect his share of the fruit, the tenants seize and kill them all, even his own son. And you'll find the story in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. This week, following the driest September on record, out-of-control bushfires have been raging in Victoria. Fires are also burning in New South Wales and Tasmania. Regions of New South Wales have been declared an extreme fire danger zone. And regions of Victoria were not just burning, but were also placed on high alert for heavy rainfall and damaging winds. Many of us understand that these extreme weather events are due to relatively recent human activity on the earth. Burning of fossil fuels, extractive forms of agriculture and other industries, global tourism, rapacious consumption. We understand, in fact, that extreme fires and overwhelming floods are a result of collective human sin. And many of us also understand that this sin has been exacerbated by the colonial rejection of Indigenous knowledge and the colonial insistence on private wealth and ownership. Way back in Genesis, God took the earth creature and put them in the Garden of Eden to serve and preserve it. But it seems that the colonial creature has not done a very good job. According to Genesis, the role of humankind is to participate in and preserve the fruitfulness of the earth. But we are taking and burning and grabbing and devouring. We are claiming land and resource for short-term benefit. We are impoverishing many for the enrichment of the few. And in the process, we are destroying the earth's very fruitfulness. Sadly, this is nothing new. In a vision from the prophet Isaiah, God invests heavily in a vineyard. God selects and prepares a land, and then clears it of stones, equips it with watchtower and winepress, and then plants it with choice vines, that is God's own people, in Isaiah chapter 5. In doing all this, God hopes that the vineyard so lovingly prepared will bear fruits of justice and righteousness and shalom. It doesn't. Instead, declares Isaiah in chapter 24, the people transgress teachings, alter decrees and violate the everlasting covenant. And so the Lord empties the earth and devastates it and distorts its face and scatters its inhabitants. The earth wails, it wastes, the world weakens, lies waste. A curse devours the earth. In Isaiah's vision, the people's refusal to live with justice and righteousness and their rejection of right relationship God, one another and the land means that God unmakes the world whether by fire or flood or war or whether by other means, God unmakes the world. 
for some of us living now, these words are beginning to look eerily prescient. Fires burn so hot, the subsoil turns to cinders. Land is being repeatedly flooded to the point of being uninhabitable. Seasons are out of whack, and complex relationships between plants and pollinators are in jeopardy. The fertility of the earth is heavily compromised. Yet a prophetic word is not a prediction. It's a warning. It doesn't describe a final destination, but what will happen and keep on happening if people refuse to change. Now Isaiah sees a link between justice and land care. He understands there's an agreement between God and people to live in right relationship with each other and the land. And he sees that when people reject this covenantal way of life, the land suffers and loses fertility. So he offers this powerful warning through the image of a well-ordered agricultural setting being unmade back to welter and waste. And it does look like this vision is fast becoming our reality. And so it would be easy to feel hopeless and to lie down and die right now. However, the God who makes and unmakes the world can make it again. And we are followers of Jesus who has a habit of taking Isaiah's visions and tweaking them. It's not to say we get a free pass, but that the challenge might be slightly different and might offer more of a glimmer of hope. So in Jesus' version, a landowner again lovingly sets up a vineyard, but this time entrusts it to tenants. The lease agreement or covenant is two-way. The landowner provides the vineyard and the tenants provide the labour. Both parties will benefit from the sharing of resource and the harvest. So this stewardship arrangement involves mutual trust and mutual benefit. And it reflects Jesus' understanding of the relationship between God and God's people. That is, everything in this world belongs first to God. God is the creator of all things and the giver of all gifts. And we are invited into partnership with God. And to this end, we're given fertile soil and the wisdom of the elders, practical skills and an eye for beauty, songs and seeds, stories and fire, everything we need for the fullness and flourishing of the world and us within it. So everything we have and everything we know and everything we are able to do and be is entrusted to us as stewards that we might bring about more faith, more hope, more love, more life, more joy, more justice, and more shalom. And yet we are also free. And so we can do what we like with the gifts. We can use them to serve and preserve the world, or we can exploit them for private benefit. Now, of course, when we use them in accordance with the Creator's instructions, they will bear good fruit. But when we use them for our own advantage or when we deny the Creator's share, things go badly for us and we will not know fullness or flourishing. And like the manna in Exodus, anything we try to hoard will go maggoty and rot. 
So what happens in the parable? When harvest time comes, the landowner sends messengers to collect his share of the fruit. But the tenants have become greedy. They reject the terms of the covenant and they refuse to hand over the harvest. And then they beat and kill the messengers, even the landowner's son. So eventually the landowner calls the tenants to account and then he takes the vineyard away from them and gives it to new tenants who will produce the fruits of the kingdom. You see, the initial tenants forgot something crucial, that they were tenants. They were never owners, and they never held title to the land. It was never theirs. Instead, they were given access to a well-equipped, well-ordered, lovingly planted vineyard, and they were called to serve it and preserve it to be custodians, in fact. As Debbie Thomas writes, theirs is not a vocation of ownership. It is a vocation of caring, tending, safeguarding, cultivating and protecting on behalf of another. On behalf of God, that is, who loves the poor and vulnerable, including the generations to come. Long ago, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy developed the seventh generation principle. This principle insists that every decision, every act, and every relationship must ensure the health and well-being of the next seven generations. This philosophy is familiar to many First Peoples in this place too, who describe themselves as custodians who seek to serve and preserve the land for many generations to come. So the seventh generation principle is the antithesis of a colonial economy of short-term private wealth creation. Yet it's a form of justice and land care that Isaiah would appreciate. It's a way of imagining ourselves into the future and of refusing to steal from our children. It reminds us that anything we extract or destroy for our own short-term benefit a tree, a river, a mountaintop. Well, it's no longer available for the generations to come. And therefore, it's a violation of shalom or right relationship. So people who live by the seventh generation principle don't blow up mountains to extract minerals. They don't use water in ways that dry up rivers. They don't cut down forests where greater gliders and swift parrots live. They don't build an economy based on mineral extraction or fossil fuel industries, nor do they aim for personal wealth creation. Instead, they seek ways to live so that both land and people flourish, even land that is deemed insignificant, even people who are not yet born. And in this way, they live with shalom, that is, in right relationship between people and planet and God. As we draw near to the voice referendum and strong winds howl and bushfires rage, I ask, who among us knows how to live in right relationship with the land? Who among us understands custodianship as opposed to ownership? Who 
will show us the way. Because right now, our collective choices are not leading to the health and flourishing of this or any generation. Instead, they are quite simply killing people and country. We are facing devastating sea level rises, horrific wildfires, deadly superstorms, and even perhaps the reversal of the Gulf Stream and the end of recognisable seasons in our lifetime. The unmaking of the world indeed. Yet in Indigenous ways of knowing and being, and in a continuous living culture which has lived in balance with the land for over 60,000 years, I find a glimmer of hope. And so I suggest that the stone that the builders of this country rejected, the stone of cultural knowledge and the wisdom of the elders, must become the cornerstone of our life together. And that this is already happening at the margins. From cool burns to fire stick farming to growing kangaroo grass for grain to reinstating wetlands, how we live in this place is very slowly changing. And it's the doing of the one who can sing life out of death, order out of chaos, and love out of a barren colonial heart. Jesus says to his listeners, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. And what are the fruits? Love and joy and gentleness, self-control, shalom, giving, sharing, self-giving love, fullness and flourishing, not just for some but for all particularly for those who cannot fight for themselves. Children, wetlands, little birds. As a society then, will we continue to privilege entrenched interests and private wealth creation? Or will we make decisions for the seventh generation, and indeed the generations living right now? Will we vote yes? Will we plant hope? What sort of tenants will we be? There's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org. And this reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequoring people of the Eastern Ma Nation. It's a land which is taken by force and has never been ceded. And I pay my respects to elders past and present. The peace of the land, waterways and skyways be with us all. Amen.